you ever get a gift and you think, thank you, <laughs> awesome, what is it? Right? You ever been given a gift where your first job as you were trying to politely say thanks and how great it was, was to figure out, what is this thing? What does it do? Uh, I'm in this teaching series as we lead up to Christmas called The Gift Exchange. And my hunch is that last week I preached out of Isaiah chapter 61. And I think it was like obvious. Everybody would walk out of here. I would assume you hear like, hey, he gives beauty for ashes. The ashes of broken dreams and broken hearts come and receive his beauty. He gives the oil of joy for that spirit of heaviness and that depression and that darkness. I think everybody would walk out and go, well, yeah, I, I want that gift. The whole series is about what God wants to give you and what he wants to take from you. I think everybody would be like, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, who wouldn't want that? This week, it's the same thing, but I wonder if, you know, you might open it and go, ah, this week, the exchange is he wants to take from you fear. He wants to take that fear and give you boldness, courage. So this week's gift exchange, the gift we're talking about is boldness. And boldness, even if, you, even if you'd say, well, I kind of know what it's for. Boldness is like that. Remember when you were kids and you opened a gift and it was really nicely wrapped and you opened it up and it was socks. You know that feeling, right? If you're like me, I can only speak for me. If you're like me, when you, when you talk about boldness in the life of a Christian, that's a pretty good analogy. It's like opening socks. I need them. There's no doubt. Socks have value. Great. But it's not like a jump up and down joyous gift like the 8-bit Nintendo. Everybody knows, right? This is socks. This is utilitarian. So when it comes to boldness, again, I may be the only one, but when it comes to boldness, that's not one that I would jump up and rejoice. I would say, yeah, as a Christian, yes, I know. I know what you're going to say. I need to be bolder in sharing my faith. I need to be bolder like in telling others about the gospel. And let's be honest, I'm not talking about proclaiming from the pulpit. This doesn't take a lot of boldness. This is easy, right? We're, we're talking to many times other believers. I'm talking about in real life, at your school, standing up for Christ and being a bold witness, at your work where you might, you might offend somebody. You might, you know, things might get awkward in your family. That's where that boldness really is necessary. And so it's kind of like, yeah, we need it. Like socks, you know, we need it. But it's not really a jump up and down gift. And if you're like me, maybe you'll be helped as I was, as I came across this book by Milton Vincent called A Gospel Primer for Christians. And I was reading in there and he said something that struck me. He makes the claim that boldness is critical. And when he said that, I did a double take. Critical means just that, critical, as in life support, as in you, you need this. In the life of a Christian, you absolutely need boldness. It's not like a luxury add-on feature that's nice to have. This is necessary. This isn't, you know, seat heaters in your car. This is like the engine. <laughs> boldness is critical. And some of you are like, it's a necessity now. Once you have them, I understand. Boldness, critical. Now, I need to get a definition going of boldness just so we can work around this. Some people would say boldness is just a personality trait. we got to get past that. Everybody clear on that? This is not a sermon about a personality trait. So don't think that the message here is going to be about boldness. God wants to be bold. And it's a message for everyone who is naturally shy and an introvert 
The message is like, now you need to come out of your shell. You need to have more courage. You're supposed to feel, feel bad. And those of you that are really outspoken and very extroverted, you're supposed to congratulate yourself on having that kind of personality. This has nothing to do with personality. In fact, isn't it true that oftentimes uh, the person who's the most courageous is uh, uh, not the loudest? Isn't it oftentimes that someone is kind of the strong, silent type? They have a lot of courage. Meanwhile, the ones who are really loud and outspoken are often loud and outspoken because they're compensating for like raging insecurities and fears. Not always, but isn't that often the case? So your personality type's not what this is about. You need boldness. Here's a definition I came up with for boldness. Uh, boldness is spirit-inspired. That's why I say for Christians, this is, this is critical. Spirit-inspired courage and confidence to do the right thing, whether that's speaking or acting, to do the right thing in spite of any danger or threat. Spirit-inspired confidence. You need that. And I'm going to make one last go. I'm going to make one last attempt to show you this is a jump-up-and-down gift. Uh, Milton Vincent goes on to write, without boldness in my life, without boldness, he says, my life story will be one of great deeds left undone. Everybody let that sink in for a second. God has a great deed planned for you in your life. Listen, some of you, the only reason that great deed in your life will not be accomplished, lack of courage. Fear is the only thing right now that's robbing you from that great deed that God has planned for you to do, and it'll be left undone because of a lack of boldness. He goes on to say, great victories unwon. There is a victory for you, a victory God has for you, and it's, it's fear. It's courage. It's opposition. That's what's keeping you from that great victory, fear. You need boldness. I think about the guy in Jesus' parable in Matthew 13, 44. And it's like, Jesus tells a parable, and a lot of times people would miss the point. I don't want to be guilty of the guy who's missing the point because they get so hung up on like one little detail. But I always think about that guy in Matthew 13, 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, this amazing treasure, he went and sold, in his joy, he sold all he had to buy that field. Now, I know the point is, right, the gospel's worth selling everything. Christ gave up everything to redeem. I, I, I get it. But I always wonder, would I have had the courage to go all in? Even if I know it's a sure thing, he had the courage to go all in. And he would have missed out on the exchange of a lifetime for one thing, a lack of courage, boldness. Petitions unprayed. Some of you, listen, the thing that God wants to bless you big time. He wants you to ask big prayers. Our boldness is not up for the task. And I wonder if we're leaving something on the table a little bit, so to speak. If, 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 if God has this great blessing in store for us, but it's like we don't have the boldness or courage to approach the throne of grace and ask for big prayers. And when we mess up, to ask for big grace, big forgiveness, to really trust him boldly, to approach his throne of grace boldly, as Hebrews 4 says. There's some prayers. God is longing to bless you. There's some prayers. I wonder, in my own life, I'm leaving unprayed. I don't have the boldness to do it. Timely words, unsaid. There's gonna, listen, this one hits home for a lot of us. How many of us look back on our life and there's some regret? I just, wish I'd, I just wish I'd had the courage to say something sooner. I wish I had said. I only, if I had just made that call sooner, if I'd made that decision, what was it? I just didn't have the courage. And we look back with regret like a boldness. Milton Vincent ends, ends this little section in his book with what I thought was a very um, vulnerable 
way to say it about his own life. And so I just, I read, I'll leave you this quote. If I wish to live only a pathetically small portion of the life God has prepared for me, then I need no boldness. Whew, that puts a fine point on it. In other words, if I'm okay to say, God, I just want a, I want a mere fraction of what you have for me, then no, you don't need boldness. But if I want my life to bloom full and loom large for the glory of God, then I must have boldness. Well, when you put it like that, that's not like socks. <laughs> that's jump up and down worthy. And say, God, grant to me this boldness. I want it. Here's the best part. If you are a Christian, for every believer in here, here's the best part. This sermon is not. Here's how you can get boldness. Here's some steps you can take to get boldness. You ready? It's yours in Christ. Ephesians 1, 3 says, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. It's yours. So my job as a preacher is to open up God's word and we'll look at a text about boldness and then we'll simply again, like, unwrap it. I can't think of a better way to say it. Just unwrap it and sort of apply it to our life. But it's yours. Boldness is yours because of Christ. It's paid for. It's a gift and he wants to give you that gift exchange. And some of you need to leave here today having given Jesus those fears and having received from him the boldness that only comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Meet me in Acts chapter 3, and let's look at a text about boldness. New Testament book of Acts, third chapter. We're not, thankfully, the first Christians to struggle with fear. The first ones to be desperate for that gift of boldness. Acts chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1 as you're turning there. Now, the the word boldness is used frequently in chapter 4, but we need chapter 3 because that's what necessitates, I guess you'd say, the boldness. While you're turning there, obviously, you know the background. The, uh, Jesus Christ came. He was, he was crucified. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He ascended, and um, he says, wait for me here in Jerusalem. The Spirit's going to come upon you in power, and we call that the day of Pentecost. That is not years removed from Jesus. That is weeks <laughs> removed from Jesus. Sure enough, uh, from his ascension, sure enough, uh, uh, power comes down. Peter preaches and acts to it. It's the day of Pentecost. This is just after that. So they're still in Jerusalem. Everybody clear? I just want you to get the timeline right. Uh, Jesus was dead, buried, risen again, like w- just weeks ago. Okay? A month and a half ago, he was doing all that, and, and, and now the Spirit has come upon the, the apostles, and now they're carrying out the mission of the still alive Messiah, Jesus. Okay. Now, Peter and John, come to chapter 3, verse 1. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now so far nothing unusual here. This was a pretty strategic time and place. The ninth hour is three o'clock in the afternoon. That would have been the time of the evening sacrifice at the temple. And so this beggar who we learn later is 40 years old. He is lame from birth. They bring him there and lay him at that gate. It's a very strategic place. You can see why. If you're panhandling, if you're, if you're begging for alms as worshipers are going into the temple to offer the evening sacrifice or on their way out, you figure their hearts might be more, you know, their hearts might be stirred or maybe they feel a little guilty, whatever. But, you know, the odds are they're going to be more likely to make a charitable donation as they're going in or coming out of that temple. Strategic place. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Presumably he was asking everybody, right? He's begging. Verse 4, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Now, uh, 
maybe, uh, maybe you've lived in a, 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 a big city, or maybe you've, you've had this experience, or, or maybe just at the, inter, uh, at the interstate uh, exit interchange there, uh, everybody knows when, when somebody's panhandling, when somebody's uh, begging for money, uh, all too often uh, the whole goal of that encounter is to not make eye contact. Right? Uh, we're embarrassed to admit. Here, Peter and John demand eye contact. Isn't that something? Instead of just kind of walking by like, hey, what's going on, right? Let's make our way in. Instead, they're the ones who stop the show. Presumably this beggar's trying to get everybody to make contact. Peter and John flip, flip the whole thing and they demand, no, look at us. Well, now, can you imagine? I mean, now, if you've, you've been begging and you've got two fellows that are walking up going, hey, hey, eyes up here. We're you guys. What are you thinking? You're thinking, they're about to hook me up, Right? This is going to be the jackpot. This is awesome. Howard Marshall writes, what could have simply been the occasion of mechanical charity is turned into a personal encounter as the lame man and the apostles look intently at one another. Not to belabor the point, but there's probably a lesson here. Notice the tenderness of Jesus and the Jesus people. It's not just about doing the charity. It's about a personal encounter. This is not just the poor, the lame. This is a human being who he looks in the face. Well, Verse 5 says, sure enough, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. <laughs> to which he's like, then why are you wasting my time? <laughs> then move along here, buddy. There's a lot of other people I could get silver and gold from. Can you imagine? He wants all the attention and says, I have. So there you go. Silver and gold have I not. But what I do have, I give to you. There's a lesson there for every Christian. Remember, Christian, you can only give to others what you have. And if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then and only then can you give the power and love of God. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. So what he has, he can give. Silver and gold have I not. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And uh, unfortunately, we get no record between verse 6 and verse 7 of how long that moment just sort of stood there, right? How long that, that like, I'm sorry, what? I mean, did, 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 he, did he balk at the idea? Did he, did he look around? Like, is anybody seeing this? Like, what, what did you just say? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Well, somehow, Peter, I mean, must have reached out, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made his feet and ankles were made strong you got to love dr luke don't you don't forget luke who's writing this is a physician right it's so great everybody else would have recorded this and there was a miracle the dude could walk luke's like his metatarsals these are specific medical terms here used for feet and ankle bones they're not found anywhere else in the new testament there's luke like geeking out on exactly how this happened i think it's great what we are shocked by, of course, is the immediately. Guy, lame from birth, he's 40 years old, and now he's suddenly walking. Does everyone, can everyone agree we got to give glory to God for the immediately? You start walking around. It's not just that he was able to walk. The guy is, I don't want to get distracted on this, but he's lame for 40 years, and verse 2 said that's congenital, from birth. So that means when God healed his body, he not only gave power to his feet and ankles, but he let him skip the physical therapy. He had to go to a single day of rehab. Ponder that. 
Even, like, little infants don't learn how to walk immediately. <laughs> I know yours will. I know. <laughs> what happens? Well, the people who go through a catastrophic injury, don't we celebrate for them when what? When they go through ag- sometimes agonizing, sometimes years of rehab, rehabilitation, so that they can learn to walk. This guy, God gives them all that in an instant. And so the next verse, look at what he does. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God, the old walk and leap and praise. And you would too. Does this verse make you smile? Do the first time in your life you're walking, there's no way you're just going to walk. You're going to throw in a leap every now and then, right? You'd do the same thing. You'd walk, you'd leap, you'd praise. This verse makes you smile even more when you consider not just the sheer joy, the goodness, but this is what the whole Old Testament's pointing to. This is what Isaiah says. You like that? That's what happens when Messiah is king. It is a fulfillment, an obvious and direct fulfillment of Messiah's kingly rule. In Isaiah chapter 35, he starts listing off when Messiah comes, when Messiah is king, oh, the blind will see and the deaf will hear. Isaiah 35 verse 6, then the lame man, then shall the lame man leap like a deer. Prophecy made 700 years before Jesus, prophecy fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. And not for nothing, prophecy still being fulfilled because apparently this Messiah Jesus must still be alive. See, that's where everybody got hung up on. That's that's where the authorities lost their mind on this because apparently I thought thought all that healing and that miracle stuff, I thought we dealt with that on Jesus. But they're saying Jesus is alive and now here's proof. Jesus is alive and he's still healing. Well, all the people saw him walking and praising God. The old walk and leap and praise was making the news. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to them. Verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And you know what's going to happen here. It's an open space there near the temple. And Peter and John, Peter never misses an opportunity. When a big crowd gets gathered, he's going to 100%. He's going to use that opportunity to evangelize, to tell the good news about Jesus Christ. What I love, what is so tender to me about this verse is the first part. The, the guy clings to Peter and John. Just imagine that sermon. Further, furthermore, you know, go back. Your homework. We're not going to read the, the whole sermon that he gives. But in your your homework this afternoon, go back and read Peter's sermon to the people and then reread it, imagining the whole time the guy's clinging to him. It's such a tender moment. Why? Why does he cling to Peter and John? I don't know. At first I think, well, maybe, um, maybe he's like walked and he's leapt and he's praised, but he's not sure, like, is it temporary, you know? It's like he's cured but still not confident. And so he's wondering, like, like is this going to go away? I mean, you know, he's still, let, let's be honest, he's lived his whole life as a lowly beggar. To suddenly, right, it, it, it's, he's scared of heights. I mean, you know, he's wobbly, right? And so he's clinging. Could be that he's cured and not yet confident. However, it could be something else. It could be that he's not quite sure who this Jesus of Nazareth is and, and why his name was so important. And clearly, it's Jesus of Nazareth that did the healing. 
And he's not quite sure who Peter and John is when they meet. It's not like he was like, Peter, John, I know you guys. So presumably they had never met. And so he's not quite sure who this Jesus is or who these Jesus people are. But he's sure of one thing. He ain't going to let them get away. Now, if that's true, then he is a model for every Christian. Is he not? What do I mean? When Jesus heals you, cling closely to Jesus and to the Jesus people. Stay closely connected. Cling to him. Well, anyway, Peter takes this moment, and he sees it, as I said, for evangelism. He's not going to waste a moment like this. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. (laughs) Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? (laughs) Really? (laughs) Okay, so he tries a new question. (laughs) They're all like, because we're amazed, because we've never seen anything like this. So men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And then he clarifies what he's really asking. Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? Now, again, you can read his whole sermon, but you see where he's going with this by the opening line. Like Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. He said, what, what, what do you think, we did this? We don't have anything. We don't have silver or gold. This is, no, 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 this is Jesus of Nazareth that did this. And speaking of Jesus of Nazareth, he, God glorified him, and you put him to shame. Talks about all the ways they put him to shame. You nailed him to a cross. I said I wasn't going to read the sermon, but the, my favorite part of it is when he says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And then he gives him this incredible gospel offer. Won't you repent? He's not holding your sins against you. He knows everything you did. You nailed him to the cross. Again, not ancient history. Like, literally, some of you were there. This was weeks ago. You nailed him to the cross. He's alive, and he's offering salvation and eternal life to all who will repent. Be saved. Well, as you can imagine, many people were thrilled. We're going to learn. A lot of people did get saved. Not everyone was happy. Let's pick up the story in chapter 4, because we've got to get to this boldness piece. <clears throat> If you look at chapter 4, verse 1, we meet a shady cast of character, the, 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 the Sanhedrin, those that were in power. These are the ones who had Jesus uh, tried and, and handed over to be crucified. They're, the thing is, they had a good thing going with Rome, and so they didn't want anybody to rock the boat. And so when, when Jesus Messiah comes along, in the end, they, they know he's innocent, but they put this innocent man to death by crucifixion because they don't want anybody to rock the boat. And they thought, well, whew, I'm glad that's done. Glad we never have to deal with that Jesus stuff again. And now his followers are saying, oh, he's alive. You very much have to deal with him more than ever before. This is, this is like the exact opposite of not rocking the boat. <laughs> the boat is sufficiently rocked. So now in verse 1, we pick up the story. And as they were speaking to the people, Peter and John preaching, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon him, greatly annoyed. Why? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Theologically, got a big problem. The Sadducees didn't even believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe a resurrection for anybody. And now you got people preaching that Jesus is alive. And they got proof that he's alive because when he was alive, he did all these healings. And now he's just healed this guy. So we could just say, well, you're a bunch of liars. But what are we going to do about Mr. Walk and Leap and Praise? Talk about an inconvenient truth. So they don't know what to do with him. So they they do what they always do. They bully him, verse 3. And they arrested him and put him in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. You know why? So Peter and John are in central booking for the night. You know why? 
because it was illegal to have a trial at night. That didn't stop them a month and a half ago, did it? They tried our Lord at an illegal trial. They knew it was illegal when they did it. They knew they couldn't even get the witnesses to agree. They illegally, unlawfully, they knew he was innocent and had an innocent man crucified rather than give up their own good lifestyle. Well, this time they're going to wait until morning. So you can imagine what Peter and John are thinking. Now, outside the prison walls, verse 4, many of those who heard the word believed. The number of men came to about 5,000. So that's, that's, that's great news. There's a great, you know, great revival. People are being saved outside. But inside that, the prison walls, I want you to imagine being Peter and John. They don't know. A, you talk about boldness. You talk about courage. It's easy for us on the other side of a trial. It's always easy to look back and be like, why didn't you have boldness, man? Why didn't you have courage? Peter and John are looking around at the same shady cast of characters that like, not ancient history, a few weeks ago, they put their Lord Jesus to death, death on a cross, and now they're in the exact same boat. And on top of that, Peter, poor Peter, he's, he's thinking like in, in the prison cells, like, well, this is it. John's like, yep, yep, this is the end. In John chapter 21, Jesus, one of Jesus' last parting words to Peter were, hey, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted to go. But when you're older, they're going to take you and gird you and lead you and stretch out your arms and lead you to the place you do not want to go. And everybody's like, I wonder if he's talking about crucifixion. So John adds, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. So he's absolutely talking about crucifixion. And Peter's sitting there going, well, and now that day has, now that day has come. It's been good, John. Why isn't Luke in here with us? I don't know. I don't know. He somehow avoided. <laughs> Either way, they think, they're, they think they're gonna die. We always talk about them singing in prison. They were singing, Lord, I'm coming home. Like, that, they, 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 this is it for them. And on, well, it's the same, it's what they did to Jesus. It is, e I just wanna point out, it is very easy for us to look back with hindsight and go, Guys, it's just Acts 4. There's a whole lot left to be written. They don't know about the rest of the story. Fair? They don't know. At no point, Peter doesn't know there's going to be a first Peter. <laughs> He's definitely not thinking there's going to be a second Peter. You understand? Uh, 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 why do I bring this up? It is important to always treat those who struggle with courage with lots of grace. Because remember, even if that person is yourself, you need to give grace. Why? Uh, what if it is the case? Uh, some of you need to hear some encouragement. Look, you may be at the end of your chapter, but it may not be the end of the book. There's still plenty more to be written, but you don't get to see it yet, do you? And neither do I, which is why we're back to needing boldness, courage. So what's it gonna be, Peter? You know, the last time you were in a tight spot like this, you, uh, I remember what you did. You were, you were warming yourself by a charcoal fire. And when they came and asked you if you know Jesus, you denied knowing him. What's it going to be this time? Well, here we go. The stage is set. Verse 5, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander. Any of these guys sound familiar? These same people that put Jesus on the cross. And all who were of the high priestly family. What's it going to be, Peter? The last time you were on the spot like this, you just sort of denied knowing Jesus and got away scot-free. Are you going to do the same thing this time? Here's your moment. Verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? 
In other words, who do you think you are? What makes you think you could do this? And Peter had a lot of things he could have said. I mean, they're obviously, when they said do this, <laughs> they meant what makes you think you could preach about the resurrection. But he didn't specify his pronoun, this. And so Peter seizes on that. And he says, verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Here it is. Here's the boldness. Rulers, he said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man's been healed? In other words, you didn't specify. When you said, how dare you do this? I take it to mean, how dare we heal somebody? I know. What are we going to do next? Huh? We're going to feed people? <laughs> we're going to bless the world? Who knows what kindness may be unleashed upon humanity, right? They meant, why did you preach the resurrection? But he's saying, no, if you're asking why this guy got healed, verse 10, let it be known to all of you. Here's his moment. Here's Peter's. <laughs> you talk about a gift exchange in Peter's life. This is the same one who said, I don't know him. Look at what he says now. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. That's boldness. That's courage. Somehow, the great gift exchange in Peter's life had been made. Peter, who had gone from, hey, you're one of the Jesus people. No, I never knew him. Jebus? Jebus? Eh, doesn't ring a bell. I don't know him. To suddenly, yeah, I'll tell you exactly how this happened. This was Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. He says the very thing they told him, just don't ever say he raised him from the dead. I can't help it. He did. It's what happened, so I'm telling you. God raised from the dead, and by his power, this man is well. This Jesus, he goes on to say, is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In other words, you're asking me, by what authority did I do this? I'm here to tell you, because in their minds, of course, the highest authority in the temple was the great high priest Caiaphas. And he's saying, uh, I did it under the authority of a much uh, greater high priest, and it ain't Caiaphas. I did it under the authority of the high priest Jesus of Nazareth. And of course, in revealing his cornerstone, he's saying that's our bottom line. The reason I think the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, as I said, they had a life that was built on most certainly Jesus not being raised from the dead, Jesus not being the Messiah. Because Jesus is raised from the dead and he's the Messiah, that means they've built their life on the wrong thing. To this day, fast forward 2,000 years, that's still why people get offended by Christians. Because what a Christian effectively says in sharing the gospel is Jesus Christ risen from the dead is the cornerstone. And it's the only thing that should support. The cornerstone determines the dimensions of the building, how high it can be built, what kind of building it'll be. It's the foundation. And every human being has a foundation, a gestalt of their life, that this is it. This is the bedrock of their life. And when you say the cornerstone is Jesus of Nazareth, you've now revealed other cornerstones to be inadequate. I mean, that's how you got saved. You, whatever you were building your life on, you suddenly realized was inadequate. That's part of the conviction of sin, and you realize, I need Jesus. So for everybody who's building their life on, and, and I'd say some people build their life on, I'm a good person. You know, I have good morals. Well, what are you going to do when for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God comes across your radar? I mean, you, you realize your cornerstone's inadequate. And some people, I, I build my life on education. You know, I've, I've got my smarts. I've got my wisdom. Well, now the, the, the gospel comes across as foolishness to those who are perishing. Now what? You've got to receive this Lord Jesus by faith. You build it on money or power or a career or whatever. None of that can bear the freight of a life. Only the risen Lord Jesus. That's why they were so upset. So 
For them, it was the resurrection of Jesus. And now, 2,000 years later, it still takes that boldness to stand up for your faith then and now. And here's how it happened. And we've got to close. And again, I, I don't have to tell you how to get boldness. I really just have to unwrap it for you and show you here. And it's uh, uh, most applicable in verse 13. And so I'll, I'll give you these three application points. I'll do them quickly and we'll close. Uh, they, they all come from verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So if you're a note taker, where, where does boldness come from? <clears throat> Maybe it's simplest to attack this by what it's not. Boldness, first of all, boldness does not mean that you think you're smarter than anyone else. Boldness does not mean necessarily that you have to be the smartest person in the room. You know, if, if you ask uh, one of the chief objections to people sharing their faith, hey man, wh why don't you witness? Why didn't you send that text? Why didn't you encourage that person? Why didn't you offer that scripture? I know it's in your heart. I know you love the Lord. Why didn't you'd be surprised how many times the objection comes back? I can't do that. Why? Man, if I get involved in one of those discussions, what if they ask me something I don't know the answer to? They're going to ask me some question I'm not going to know. I, I, just, I just don't know the Bible like I should. I just don't know all this stuff. I, I just, maybe I need some more training or whatever, but I, I'm just so nervous because I, I won't know. Well, boldness does not mean you're smarter than anyone else. Right here, look at verse 13. Look what Luke says. When they saw that they were uneducated. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is even funnier a little bit when the guy that wrote this was Dr. Luke, who as a physician was highly educated. And you think later, maybe Peter and John read this and was like, hey, like, <laughs> was that really necessary? You know what I mean? <laughs> Basically, Luke is like, you've seen these guys, right? My friends are not the sharpest knives in the drawer, right? There they are like, well, I mean, but we have feelings. <laughs> the point is there's no presumption of intelligence, is there? Peter, it's as if Peter is saying like, hey, we're going to tell you that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and there is no way to be saved other than through Jesus because there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So here's the deal. This isn't about being smarter. When it comes to intelligence, you, you, have, a, you have us beat hands down, okay? And uh, you have all this training and you have more on your wall hang more degrees than a thermometer, and so, if this is about intelligence, you've got to beat hands down. But here's the thing. We walked and lived with Jesus of Nazareth, and then you had him crucified. And you tried to roll a stone in front of that tomb. And you tried to guard it with a garrison of Roman soldiers. And three days later, he arose up out of that grave, just like he predicted, and he appeared to all of us. We saw him. We hung out with him. We ate with him. We talked with him. So if it ever comes down on a question of how we should build our life between the guy with all the education and the degrees or the guy who got up and walked out of a grave, we're going with that guy you could charge them for being gullible or naive but you could not say they were arrogant they're not claiming to be smarter than anybody else they're bearing witness to the risen Lord Jesus that's where boldness comes from doesn't mean you have to be this you don't have to know it no, 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 no. come on boldness doesn't mean and this is a, the, the, the corollary boldness doesn't mean you're morally superior to anyone else 
Here's another objection I hear. You know, people will say, I want to share my faith. I want to witness to other people. I want to be bold in my faith. You know, especially I think a teenager might go through something like this. But really everybody. You know, you think, why, why, why don't you witness? Why don't you invite them to church? Man, I can't talk about faith. I, can't, I, don't, I don't feel comfortable inviting them to church or witness. Why not? Because, man, who am I to talk to anybody about Christianity or faith or God when my own life is such a mess? Right? My own life is such a wreck. Who am I to talk to anybody about this stuff? Which I always want to say, that's the point. That's absolutely the point. Look what it says. These were uneducated, common men. Common means they were untrained as rabbis. They weren't, they weren't trained up as religious officials. These are not priests. These are not missionaries. These were fishermen. And their job, if you understand Christianity... If your understanding of Christianity is wrong, and so many people's understanding of Christianity is wrong, if your understanding of Christianity is the, 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 the good boys and girls who bubble up, who rise up, and who follow the Ten Commandments and do everything right, and maybe, just maybe, they'll be accepted by God, then your objection would hold. But everybody, don't you know, the gospel's the opposite of that. The gospel is not, well, I was good enough to get into Christianity, so because I'm so good, here I can offer it to you. The gospel is, I'm such a mess, I needed God's grace. I don't come to church week after week because I've got it all together. I don't share my faith because I've got it all together. I, I share my faith because I need his grace and I found in him grace for even me. And if there's grace for even me, if he saved even me, he can save you. That, that's why, listen, you, as a witness, you know what Jesus said in Acts 1-8, which I think was a fulfillment of Isaiah 40, 40, 40 something, he said, you shall be my witnesses. He needs a witness. Isn't it true that part of, I think, why we get so nervous and talking to other people about Christianity and stuff, somehow we think we're on trial. Listen, you're not on trial. You're just a witness. Isn't it true in a court of law they have a thing called a character witness? You need to know everything, everything I understand about the United States legal system comes from watching Matlock. And I say that because I, I talk about like legal stuff, and I don't, many of you work in the legal field. I don't want you to come after me and be like, actually, that's not right at all. Well, take it up with Matlock. Okay, not with, because I, I'm just going off. Okay, he, and he was successful. <laughs> okay. Isn't it true that they have a thing called a character witness? Very interesting. A character witness is someone, they're not on trial, but somebody they know is on trial. Now watch this. So their job is to be brought in and they testify. They can't make stuff up. That's illegal. But they testify to what they've seen and heard is the character of this person that may, that may be the thing that persuades people who are deciding about the person who is on trial. Your friends, your coworkers, others at school, right now they're deciding about the claims of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is going forth. He's working. Right now he's working in Tapachula, Mexico, where this church has a team right now on the ground. In the airplane or maybe leaving or landing is a team in Puerto Rico that are being sent from this church right now. I believe the Holy Spirit has gone ahead of them, and I believe the Holy Spirit has gone ahead of, of you and your, your the people in your sphere of influence, okay? And right now, these people are deciding about Jesus. They're considering the claims of Christ. They've gone past a Christmas display and for the first time heard some of the words of this hymn and something's touching their heart. And you know what, Jesus? You are not on trial, but Jesus is going, give me a witness. Just somebody to stand and say, if anybody's in doubt about what Jesus can do, let me tell you about my Jesus. You're not on a trial. Your job is to bear faithful witness. So he's been good to you. 
Testify. Has he saved you? Testify. Has he put a scripture verse on your heart? Send it out. Has he put a song on your lips? Sing it out. Testify. Has he, has he made a way for you when there seemed to be no way? Testify. Looking for a witness. Doesn't mean you're morally superior to anybody. It means you're like one beggar telling another beggar, hey, here's where to go get some bread. Finally, boldness comes from being with Jesus. They saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. They recognized they had been with Jesus. You want to unwrap the gift of boldness in your life? Be with Jesus. They're the religious leaders. <laughs> they were, I imagine when Peter said that, they were like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we remember how hard it was to win an argument against Jesus. Couldn't beat Jesus in an argument. And now, look, you can't beat the Jesus people either. Boldness, it seems, is a byproduct of, of the gospel. Peter has filled with the Holy Spirit. Will you read his word? Let his good news sink deep into you. And as a byproduct, what will happen is, as the gospel's preached even to yourself, as it goes deeper and deeper into who you are, as you realize his love for you, what happens is that as you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like perfect love. And perfect love has this amazing thing it does where it casts out all fear. You're only going to get that from Jesus. Musicians are going to come and lead us in a time of response. I, uh, I know, like, like it's a busy season of year, and it's easy to get distracted. And I, I worry with a message like this in particular. Like it, it, I mean, just be honest. It is very possible that with all the things going on, you can walk out of here, and it's like in one ear, out the other. And so I just want you to consider, um, like, what, if, if you didn't take any of this seriously, if you ignored all this, then I want you to ponder some great deed in your life still left undone. Some great victory still left unwon. Some bold petition that's just left unprayed. Some timely word left unsaid. I cannot imagine a kid, I cannot imagine a kid at Christmas morning saying, you know, I've unwrapped enough gifts. Let's just leave these big, beautiful, beautifully wrapped, just the right Nintendo-sized gifts. Let's just... Let's just leave them unwrapped. Why? Well, because it, 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 you, you don't want like boldness, love, faith. I, I believe that my parents are good or that, that, I, that I, I want this gift. What, why would I? In the same way, don't let some great deed go undone for lack of boldness in your life. And, uh, and where do you go with that fear that many of you brought in here? How, how do you leave that with Jesus? Uh, you're not going to find the answer to boldness. Listen to me. You're not going to find it in yourself. Um, last night, Jackie and I attempted to string Christmas lights on a real Christmas tree. Our marriage is strong, and we made it through. But there, uh, at the end of 1,000, 2,000, 10 million, we got to that bottom and uh, the time came to, I'm holding the plug. And I had the right end. I didn't do the thing where I said, I, 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 I. And, uh, and I couldn't figure it out. And I had the, I had the plugs going everywhere, in every direction. And some of them, you know, it stacked up like multiple plugs together. And I, I, I plugged it in and nothing. I was like, oh no. And I, uh, and so I, I did what anyone would do. I just unplugged it and plugged it in. But this time, like I meant it, you know. <laughs> like really, come on, man, I need this. And, uh, Still nothing. 
And I, by the time I got everything unwound and unwrapped, wouldn't you know, I had plugged this thing into its own receptacle. <laughs> and when I plugged it into the actual power source, it was like a Christmas miracle. Uh, you, you know, we laugh at that. But think of how many Christians are looking to overcome their fear. They'd give anything to be done with anxiety and fear. And they're plugging into their own life looking for that answer. Well, if I just try harder, if I, if, I could just, if I could just have some more better practices in my life, I'll get it right the next time. If I could just have better self-talk, if I could just, I've got to dig deeper, I've got to find it. You will not find this gift exchange plugging into your own life. And you won't find it plugging into any teacher, philosopher, guru, or life coach who's still dead and in the grave. You will find it plugged into the life of Jesus Christ, being filled with His Spirit. And it cost you nothing to receive this gift exchange of boldness. It cost our Lord Jesus everything. Peter denied Him, and Jesus went to the cross. And Peter was supposed to be the one friend who was supposed to hang with Him to the very end. Peter is the one, even if everybody else forsakes you, I'll go with you. And Jesus needed that one friend facing His darkest hour. And Peter's the one who deserted Him, and He denies Him, and He runs off, which means Jesus hung there and bled and died. He suffered and died. The old hymn says He suffered and died alone. But He did that. He suffered and died alone so that Peter never would be alone. And you and I are never alone. We don't suffer alone. We don't die alone who are in Christ. Why? Because that gift exchange comes in a nail-scarred hand. He's offering you today boldness. Will you let him have your fear and receive the courage of being filled with the Holy Spirit this week? Let's pray. God, grant to every child of yours, God, grant boldness to them spirit-filled confidence and courage to relinquish fear to you, Jesus, and receive the gift exchange of your boldness. Grant to anyone here watching this online or live in this room that does not yet know you that today would be the day of salvation. They've been attempting to, to plug into their own power source, their own life. Grant that today would be the day that they receive you, that they are connected to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the free offer of salvation to all who would believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope the